Hello and welcome to a Paradise Lost podcasting channel. My name is Brendan and this is episode four of Let the Good Dice Roll, our retrospective episode, our retrospective episodes on a two and a half year long Exalted game that I ran. I, uh, as I said before, I'm Brendan and I'm joined as always by Christina. And we also have... Hey guys, it's Julia. My beautiful wife, Julia, is here with us, and we also have our good buddy, Nathan! Nathan's one of our uh, warp friends who was hanging out today, and uh, he hung out long enough for us to basically be like, go home or, we're, or you're going to be on the podcast, so guess who's on the podcast now? Well, it's not my first podcast. I used to, used to run a nerdy podcast with my friend James about our anime convention nonsense. Well, that's pretty cool. What Just... What was it called? Do you, do you still do it? Uh, it's the Kilt Cast. We haven't done it in a over a year now, but we just streamed it and then threw it up on YouTube on our. I mean, hell yeah! I mean that that's a good thing to do. I've actually gotten some requests from some people to throw our stuff up on YouTube for ease of watching for people who don't yeah, usually. Yeah, that's do, that's uh, easy. You just you already have the recordings and stuff. It's literally just make a base YouTube channel, throw it up, and there you go. People links. You got to plug and your we shit. Need SoundCloud. Oh, yeah. Seventeen-year-old busboy desperately wants us to be on SoundCloud. Then he'll okay. actually listen to us you and not are... lie to me and not lie to me about listening to our podcast. Which this is the last reference I'm going to make to that poor child. I have ruined his life. Well, <laughs> and Nathan's also an avid listener to our other podcast about mage and werewolf. I listen to everything, and he's heard stories about. Wait, wait, uh, wait, wait, wait! Is this is this a podcast where we have our first fanboy? Yay! Yeah, yeah, I guess so. I'm your biggest fan. <laughs> oh god, we're restraining order. <laughs> no, he knows where we live. It's too late. He yeah, did. it's true. So, um, work. <laughs> Nathan, uh, what's your what's your hot take on us as a group? Oh gosh, damn! I hate re-recording these things, but yeah. Um, hey, hey, I changed up the question enough to. Uh, yeah, as a group. If you're just meaning how you guys play tabletops, I definitely enjoy the group dynamic you guys bring around. The, I don't know exactly how to describe that. The craze, the, I'm trying to figure out a word here. It's just off the rails nonsense that you guys all run with. Crazy is a good word for it. The shenanery. The shenanery. The shenanigans. You know, with with some shenanery. With vans and tour buses and wheezies. I love wheezer. Fuck you. Every, every, I love the, Weezer too. The the irony of it is is that everybody loves Weezer in that group. <laughs> we just don't like the Weezy. We just don't like Weezer cover bands. You know what kills me about that? My nickname at work is Weezy. Oh. My first two, like my first week there, I was horribly sick and I was like on antibiotics and I could barely breathe. And the and my manager was just like, "You all right there, Weezy?" And then uh, it just stuck. And then my work twin started calling me Grandma. Like, so you're like, yeah, they're, they're the Wheezies. And I was like, fuck you. That's okay. I'm just the weird girl who LARPs along with Emily at my work. So I'm the weird guy who LARPs at, at, in my district and, um, has gotten like two of the grandmas to be like, Ooh, this looks interesting. <laughs> we need more grandmas in LARP. Oh my God. We need so many more grandmas in LARP. I need my mother to LARP. Right. Mom, I want you to LARP. If you ever listen to my podcast, please come LARPing with me. I could never see it. You would destroy Wally. I avidly didn't tell my parents until Scott let it slip at a Chili's that I LARPed when I was out with my mom and I think my ex and somebody else. 
and he was asking me about the event or something like that. I was like, what event? And I was like, oh, it's just, you know, the thing I told you where I go out and hang out with my friends in the woods and stuff like that. And Scott's like, oh shit, did I, did I, oh, you, she didn't know, my bad. And he, he was our server, because when he, back when he worked at Chili's, he just kind of walked away. And then I'd explain to my mom what Lark was, and that was an adventure. My dad took it a lot better than my mom did, because my mom was just very confused. She's like, you know what? You're just a nerd. I've just come to accept this, and just, I don't have to understand it, as long as you're being safe and everything about it, uh, whatever. We will come back to this, because there's definitely something I want. Like, you've now given me a really good memory I want to discuss. But I do have a question for you, Nathan, since you are technically our biggest fan. Yay! Um, what is your favorite episode of Mage, and what is your favorite episode of Werewolf so far? So far. Um, I'm gonna say probably Battle at the Marquee Theater so far. I was enjoying a I'm bunch so, of I'm the sorry. scenery. I'm sorry, you mean sorry, Battle, the, Battle at the Marcus the Mar- of Theater. The, Marquee, the Marcus of Theater, I'm sorry. Yes, I got the name wrong. I was actually trying to pronounce Featuring it Featuring Kane from the WWF. Featuring Kane from the WWF. Um, Werewolf. Uh, which one is the one I'm thinking of? Is it the car chase where I kill the helicopter? My bay will blade on. That was definitely amazing. That would probably be my favorite episode in general. But I can't top the moment of Werewolf when someone punched a child. <laughs> The episode before that. Yep. I think that's the Fomori will see you now. Yes. (laughs) So, do you guys want to get into this? Yeah, so, Christina? Alrighty. So, this is our fifth uh, session. And it started on a Sunday, like all of them do. This was January 22nd, 2017. And it starts us off on a flying boat. Because... John is extra, and we had to have a flying boat. Uh, John, actually, uh, th- we didn't mention this in the last recording, but uh, John actually, uh, after acquiring the, the boat from the Baroness, um, did a sorceress working to make it fly. Yep. So we're flying along on our flying boat, and then we see another flying object. Surprise. Flying boat in the sky. <laughs> I can go twice as I'm glad I wasn't the only one thinking of reading Rainbow. Uh, oh, good show, good show. Miss it. But we saw this flying metal celestial lion that was slightly patchworked together, and it's coming towards us. So all of us are kind of like freaking out a little bit. So um, to explain what the hell a celestial lion is, a celestial lion is about a 20 foot long, uh, 10 foot tall. Um, green jade creature and when i say that it is patchwork together like it has spots missing that have been basically riveted together with like iron and stuff like that in it other metals other metals it is a sentient living construct Mm -hmm. that's a good way to describe it yeah um of immense power if i recall stupidly immense power they're technically the guardians of the gates of heaven you shall uh, so riding this lovely, lovely flying steed is Julia's character, actually. Uh, she wore these orange, white, and golden Shinto priestess robes, had this nice, unnaturally bronze skin, and snow-white hair. And she had, because uh, I wrote Zenith down, so I'm assuming you had your Zenith cast flaring at the yes, time. Uh, she just average height, lavender eyes, and she didn't have any weapons on her, and she was just flying towards us. So we're all like, okay, what the fuck is going on? 
My, I think my favorite part of this was uh, when Devin's character uh, decided to try to read the uh, read our intentions, and mine was just peaceful and friendship, and I, I wanted to like get like I was here to help, and there was nothing malicious about me. He goes, okay, well I want to read the lions, and I just looked and was like, you hear now on a constant loop that is stuck in your head a strange ongoing chorus of beep beep beep. And he just looked at me and was just like, are you, are you fucking serious? Is this real? This is for real. And he just looked down with this just like extremely annoyed and like angry face, but was trying not to laugh. Yeah. Well, we, we, we meet her, and she introduces herself. I don't know if you want to actually say your, your full title or not. Radiant Talisman of the Unconquered Sun. Which we kind of call her Tally, or Talisman for short. And then her noble doofy steed. Loofy doof lord. Yep. <laughs> and they were, they asked me, they, they, we had a lot of conversations, and uh, they were just like, I was like, hello, my name is Radiant Talisman of the Unconquered Sun. I am here to assist you. And they're like, and who is this? And I was like, this is my majestic companion, my familiar, my best friend and my guardian, Floofy Duke Lord. With the straight face. It was great. <laughs> so we all kind of like talk and exchange pleasantries and whatnot, trying to like... They asked me about my past and I told them that I had no... There were no memories before Floofy Duke Lord. Yep. There was no, there all like there was nothing before Floofy, and I think that's when Craig broke. Well, like the only other thing I think you were able to tell us was you had seen the Unconquered Sun like a four-armed man, which you know, with the rest of the description was the freaking Unconquered Sun. Yeah, because the Zenith cast gets to like meet him just like the fucking um Jimmy Jimmy Dean sausage commercial. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But he was he was playing a, a game in like the background. So you didn't really get to meet him, but you got to meet him kind of. He um, had a message for you. That's usually what Zenith cats get when they exalt. I, I just prefer to be in a Jimmy Dean sausage breakfast session. Um <laughs> so one of the other things during this talking that is for some reason not written down, but uh Joe's character Davis reveals a big secret to everyone else. Davis visionary, what I want to call him. Uh he is originally as described and I feel like this is just something that Joe kind of decided he wanted to change midway through just to make his character more intri- more interesting to try and give it more depth and like character development because of the change that he made honestly it made sense and like the way he explained it um because originally he was very tall bald had a beard had a a beard um but what joe describes then is he hops down off of He's like a six foot tall dude who then hops down off of uh, stilts. stilts, takes, like, removes his jacket, and there are, like, extendo, like, really well crafted extendo arms, basically, because he's got shorter limbs, because he's a shorter person, and then starts wiping away, like, wiping off the beard and wiping away the, uh, the makeup to reveal that Joe is, in fact, a Jala. And I'm pretty sure we've talked about Jollop before. We did. We talked about, the... like, Fakakun and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we did We did before because, for some yeah. reason, he brought a bunch of uh, a bunch of Jala to the city. But Well, 
My favorite part of this is... <laughs> you can keep it together just long enough to say it. I don't think she's going to be able to keep it together. <laughs> it's still funny. It's, it's still funny. Craig... First of all... I believe in you. Craig had never heard of Jala before. So we had to describe and show him pictures of what Jala looked like. <laughs> you want me to do it? Okay. Hey, babe, babe, calm down. I will, I will deliver this. So Craig turns to Joe and just goes, Oh, so he's like a reverse juggalo. <laughs> This from you. <laughs> so, <laughs> visionary and uh, wayward end up finding this kind of like shadow elemental thing in their shadow. Um, that uh, and to spy on people. Well, he was testing it out. He was testing it out. To see and so, visionary actually ended up making that his familiar because you had to like commit effort to do that, or not effort, uh, commit essence to do it, or something like that. But he was using it to test the charm for spying. And so he went around while we're on this trip, because it takes us four days to go to the bats. So while we're traveling along, he's like, I'm going to just drop these in people's shadows. And when he did it to me, I was like, get this fucking thing out of here, Seeker. And he, of course, did right away, because he was about to deal with me being mad. Um, so we're just traveling along. And as we're going, we see these five anima banners just flare up, and they're elemental in uh, essence. And then there's Which this... d- definitely means that there's uh, terrestrials down there. Yeah, and since there's five of them, it's a, likely the full circle of terrestrials. We also see this single anima banner that's flaring up in the middle of all these other ones. So we have an idea that this might maybe be the guy that's killing Exalts. And he also, there's the, he has a grand diclave and is using single point shine to the void. And all of a sudden, all the anima banners go out except for his. But the next part gets a little hinky because we don't remember this next part because wibbly wobbly sidereal bullshit. 
Uh, I think maybe Seeker might have been the only one to remember a little bit of it, but I don't remember exactly. Um, mm-hmm. But so Seeker rides uh, Floofy Doof Lord down and uh, <laughs> tells us to stay behind. So this dude is wearing a star metal buff jacket, has silver hair, and this hard face with really sharp features. And he has He's, a- uh, as we've gone over before, I really like references. He's basically a stand-in for Sephiroth. Yeah, so he has this other sword and then just this big scabbard for the Grand Diaclave. And he yeah. talks about... Yeah, go ahead. Because it's Halloween, can we just can we just refer to him only as Eunice Sephiroth? Uh, I, mean, I think he, he, has a, he has an actual name, though. Eunice Sephiroth? <laughs> I get it. I get the joke! I'm just bad at this. So his anima banner was uh, basically this black hole with stars being sucked into it. Because he's not actually a sidereal, he's actually a Gatimian, which, as we mentioned in the first episode, is kind of like a reverse sidereal. Yeah, but we we did obviously know better at the time. I mean, beyond the game we knew it, but in game we we didn't know what all the other result types were. So he said that he was here to wreak fate, which was our big hint out of game. And he called himself the Fateless Ivory Swordsman, and he works against the Loom of Fate. Um, and he and talked, this is one of two times that he shows up. Yep. And he talked about how the Sidereals are the Keeper of Heaven, and they run the bureaucracy of the gods, and are kind of like the police force of fate. And he, he sees us, but he doesn't care, so he ends up heading back to the Riverlands. And he had only helped... Uh, the ca- a caravan to get rid of exults and wasn't really helping them out exactly. But none of that, that interaction with him, we don't remember any of it. Because quibbly wobbly fate bullshit. Uh, and then we arrive at the vats, you know, four days later. So we march to the vats, and of course it's us, so there's some bickering along the way. <laughs> and uh, as we get closer, we get this feeling of. I, I honestly don't know what this word means, and that's probably bad on my part, but a uh, horrification? What? Look, I misspelled it in the notes, but that was the word you used, because you know me, and I take notes like that. Horrification. I can think of one definition of that, but it's a very literal thing, and I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say that kind of thing on this podcast. Probably I not. Wouldn't. <laughs> if you think you're not allowed to say it, then you're probably not allowed to say it. Feeling of horrorplication. Yeah. I have no idea what I meant to... Um, <laughs> no, I literally, like, butchered the spelling of however it's supposed to be spelled. If it's a real word, I literally wrote horror and then plication. Like horror? Or, yeah, like horror. Or, like, horrific okay. implications? I don't know. Because I'm looking... Oh, horrification? Uh, that's what I was thinking. I don't know, because I wrote horrorplication, and I, I feel like horror I wrote I have no idea. I feel like I wouldn't have written that word out so literally unless that was the word he used. Uh, so, but it was one of those things that just kind of made the hair on the back of our neck stand up. So I'm assuming it has some kind of a horror feeling to it. Like you were getting a bad feeling from yeah. it. Yeah. Okay. But we could feel essence of... Horrific implications. Probably was what you are trying to say. Um, we, uh, could feel the essence in the air, and it was causing animal switching, which is in quotes for some reason. Uh, oh yeah, such as a barking squirrel or a bawling butterfly. That was the <laughs> weirdness, the switching of animals. Yes, yes, the an- <laughs> the animals were having weird, like, switching of, like, <laughs> vocal cords and, like, a lot of 
weird, like, <laughs> almost body horror kind of stuff happening. Yeah. So Fun times. Yeah, they're digging the bat facility up. So we ask a Seiyu, uh, what could be expected? Like, are we looking for traps or stuff like that? And he mentioned traps, obviously, and essence storms and stuff like that. But not all of them were the same every time around. So in the center, there was a crystal of earth. Uh, past that was the actual bats facility. So we open the door and go in. There's different like little things of essence lighting the way. Then we hit a juncture. So when we touch uh, the things, like there's different things around, and when we touch them, it opens rooms and elementals cannot go into the rooms that are not other elements. It's one random thing we found out. Uh, right, because uh, Sunflower and Princess were with you guys, and since they're uh, wood elementals. Yeah, they, could, they couldn't go into certain rooms. So at one point we go through a blizzard air room and eventually find children who want to have a snowball fight with us. Oh yeah, this is where I... Was it terrifying or adorable? Well, we all appeared as kids and Tally got freaked out because she doesn't know what was going on because she doesn't have any human memories because she's exalted. So Talisman, her whole thing was that when she exalted, she went through what is known as like a fever and it can burn away a lot of your memories. So because of that, she was basically a blank slate. She only knew, like, instinct and, like, being an exalted from the short time that she had been one. And so the way I was role-playing her was, like, she didn't really exactly have... She was not... She was amoral. She didn't have a moral compass at that time. She was still figuring out who she was. And so I was going through this motion of instinctually, like, you're pretty much raised, like, from children, you have those memories. She had no memory of being a child. She didn't know what children were. She had an idea, but she'd never really interacted with them. Yeah. So when all of us appear as kids, it's kind of like, what the fuck? I see. This was actually taken uh, more or less uh, hand lifted from the opening to Final Fantasy Tactics, uh, Tactics Advance, Advance, I believe. Yep. So, uh, kind of secret... It starts off with a snowball fight. Ah. Uh, to, to acclimate you to how uh, tac- uh, tactical RPGs work. Ah, uh, yes. But yeah, so Seeker points out the area, and I use uh, one of my charms to like to move around and sneak around and do my, my shit. And Seeker, who used a bow at the time, pulled his bow out, and it was a toy bow. So he hits a snowman that's watching us and kills it, and air quotes... So there's this blue gem that appears, and the diff- the sorcerers in our group channel essence into it, and this whole illusion just dissipates, and now the air area is lit up. So that was the, the first area we went through. A lot of these uh, areas are basically made as um, puzzles for people to solve. Yeah. So apparently, according to Sayu, this was not a normal thing to go through when coming here, so we're just not really sure what's going on, just kind of going with the flow. Then we get to the water room, which is this barren valley. The door closes behind us, and the room begins to fill with water, and we realize that uh, we are at a lighthouse, and we need to keep going up it. So we all have these really convoluted ways of getting the gem from the lighthouse, because it's us, so it's gotta be convoluted. Another video game reference there to uh, Bioshock Infinite. I love Bioshock. Or even just, I guess, the Bioshock series, because it always starts with a lighthouse. Yep. Well, because, yeah, I mean, you've got the lighthouse up there, and the then everything's underwater. Yep. So. 
Uh, and then, you know, we get the gem out of there. That place is solved. Awesome. Then we go to the fire one, and Seeker ends up monkey leaping to get to the gem. And, you know, we're good there. Uh, the fire one was supposed to be a reference to the microwave hallway from Metal Gear Solid 4. Uh, I'm a, I'm I remember there was center. one that I was able to do that no one else could for some reason. Um, I, I mean, think you helped out with wood. I mean, wood's next, so. Yeah. But that was the, uh, it was a verdant forest and someone was in the, there with the tree house. There was oh, really yeah, large one. tree trunks. Not just someone. Mr. Superfly Johnson. He didn't have that name just yet. Oh, well, he didn't, yeah, he didn't have that name just yet, but. But he basically couldn't leak. So the, the tree trunks made a square, which he was kind of in the middle of, and he couldn't leave it unless, because someone always had to be in the middle of it. Which is a oh. reference to JoJo's Bizarre yeah. Adventure. Yes, that is literally the refer- a reference to JoJo's Bizarre yep. Adventure. Brendan's not the only one who's watched all of JoJo's. So, la, 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 la. sorry, reading through notes. Uh, our sorcerers summon a little tree beard to keep him company, and Tally crafts some games for him. So he's, you know, not entirely lonely. Because, you know, we needed the gem, and we needed to get it figured out, but none of us are gonna freaking stay there. So give him some friends and games and keep him occupied. That's the best we got for him, honestly. And then... And Percival, didn't he swear he was going to save him and make I a, believe so, yeah. Um, he promised he was going to find some way to get him out of there. To break the curse and save this guy. Because, like, Percival was always, like, tried to hold on to his humanity as much as he could. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If I recall. Like, he viewed being an exalted as... A gift. As a gift. As we are here to serve and lead the people. And, and help us. them as much as we can. Yeah. So then we're at the Earth one, and it's a nice sterile room. It's got a oh, I remember this one. Ugh! It's a, there's a single cloaked figure lying on the ground. So I end up going over and lifting the cloak up because I don't think anybody else wanted to mess with it at the time. And it looks like me, Storm. Mm. It was sort of a clone that knows all about me. So that was uh that was interesting. And it, we find out that it's a Fae folk that shifts into people. I remember I had, like, the lowest something stat, so it ended up... Was it willpower? Like no, I, I was good on willpower. It might have been like the that. lowest, um... It was something. Manipulation, or... <laughs> As storm? Uh, it might have been the lowest charisma, or, uh, some... Uh, it might have been, like... It was a you, mental... You, you guys might have... It might it might have been a mental thing. Yeah, it was some kind of, like, weird mental thing. I don't have... It was, like intelligence and like resilience or resistance like whatever it is that makes your social defense value high you had the lowest of that which was so weird considering but um, it's basically how i chose the victim yeah uh and visionary and storm just fuck this thing up with decisive and uh we both end up going iconic to kind of deal with it and that was you guys's first major boss battle yeah, and then uh, Seeker, Floof, Percival, and Princess are the ones that end up finishing it. So we we kill it, and then <laughs> Sunflower... Did you sit on it? 
Oh, well, I know our uh, plant elementals ended up eating it, and I cut its head off. Oh, yeah, that's all I remember. Brutal. Well, they need to eat. Their plant, plant elementals are yeah. always hungry. Ah. Um, but the gem was actually in the fey, and we had to use that to open the vats. We ended up making it in there, and there's something um, that's inside of the only working vat. So we, we write down all the different blueprints for how to make the bats because there was only one working one and we needed one for our alchemical friend to say you. Uh, and we end up seeing this red robot dog that comes out and literally, instead of just making like the bark, 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 it literally says bark, wolf, bark, wolf, wolf, wolf. <laughs> bark, bark. Oh, that's bark. great. So we find out that that's a say you is familiar. Uh, and then we, he also ends up telling us a little bit about the rest of the alchemical group. So we found out in the, down in the south, the jade cast, the greatness of uh, autothorian engineering is there. Out in the wild to the west is the wild troubleshooting unit. Directly over Sunshade is the uh, warden of the seventh Sky Dome Penitentiary. In Lookshy is the architect of the supreme, yeah, the architect of the supreme metropolis. And then we didn't know the location of the creation uh, debugging unit, which was the Soul Steel one. Uh, and the session ends with this naked crafting unit with arms that's crafting stuff. It has uh, blue and red eyes, and it looks around, and then it turns to Visionary and says, Oh, you know, it's, it's good to see myself again. And that's where that session ended, just with that weirdness. That's a great cliffhanger to leave players on. Yeah, it was interesting. So this would be session six, right? Yep, session six. So for this one, Julia wasn't actually there for it, but that's fine. And this one took place on Sunday, February the 5th, 2017. So Visionary calls this person out who claims to be him and says he's a liar because I wouldn't blame him for it. And Hello, I've seen. Hello, I am you from the past. How are you? You're a liar. This is stupid. You you know that reincarnation happens in this world, right? This is stupid. So imagining the Spider-Man pointing at Spider-Man meme, but with visionary. You, you know what? Exactly. It's just two Jawas pointing at each other. I mean, he wasn't in his Jawa form at this time. He had powered up into his non-Jawa form. It's a juggalo and a reverse juggalo pointing at each other. Oh, jeez. Who are you? I'm you. Well, we're going to lose Julia now. Thanks, guys. Yo, you know what's the best? How do magnets work? Yo, you know what's the best thing about juggalo makeup, though? It hides you from drones. <laughs> drones can't facially recognize you with juggalo oh, makeup geez. on. It's still, not, it's it's still funny. It's never not funny. Jug Juggalos are, 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 the, are the revolution from, from, from our drone overlords. I don't... See, I want to make a political commentary, but I'm not going to add drag political I, anything I, I, in here. I don't... Know. I know. exalted politics. The right? only other thing that I can think of is that line from fucking... From, from fucking the league. You're just a chode juggler. Oh my god. <laughs> oh. 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 So well, now, okay. that's forever fused with juggalos in my brain. I can't, oh god, it's so funny. <laughs> because so Julia funny. wasn't there that session, Brendan gave her a chance to, you know, what do you want to do? Since you're there in character, you can't physically be here out of game. So her one question to this, uh, I'm going to call him Visionary 2 or V2 because that was just easier for my notes, was what is your name? 
and he said that his name was Visionary of Immortality Most Sacred and Divine. And he claimed to be from the first age, even though that's not what he would call it, and that he lives off of batteries. So that was that was interesting. Mm-hmm. He also wasn't a solar anymore, and he sort of did this to himself. Congrats, I guess. He basically tried to turn himself into a proto-alchemical. Well, he, he did to hide from the usurpation, so he went into stasis, and he also stole a Seiyu's dog. He did steal a Seiyu's dog. Uh, we also learned that Autothon's number is six, which was interesting, but makes sense. Mm-hmm. And that there were auspicious gateways. Oh, yeah, because you guys didn't know anything about um, Yushan Gates. Yeah, over where the first age cities used to be. So Maru, Lukshai, uh, Chiroskiro, Chiroskiro, however you want to freaking pronounce it. Chiroskiro. I'll keep saying it one way or the other. I'll probably switch it up. We had this conversation earlier <laughs> uh, about how I say it one way, everybody else says another. Because it looks like, because there's a particular art style that's spelled very similar, if not the same. Then style. you know what? You might be pronouncing it right. I don't know. Uh. But yeah, so he was just trying to keep his mortal soul going, and we talked about the quest for immortality. And he tells each of us visions about this, and about the statues, and how we needed essence batteries for them. And so we all kind of got to learn one of the things our past incarnations did for a quest for immortality. And I don't remember any of the other boys, but I know... Uh, mine was, I tried to steal a peach of immortality from the unconquered sun's tree of storm. Um, so what Visionary did is literally what you all were looking at. Okay. Um, Percival tried to make himself immortal by creating his own martial art in the first stage that would, um, basically kind of like spread almost like a mimetic plague. So then that everybody would always be, like... Powering him. Pow- powering, not necessarily powering him, but, like, when he dies, his goals and aspirations would spread on through thoughts to everyone else. Okay. Um, Wayward Sons is literally the ballad. The, the opera? Uh, or the opera, sorry, not the ballad. Let's not bring the ballad into this! <laughs> Flashbacks, I'm having PTSD. Um, you. And then Seeker's um, thing was... Uploading his consciousness to the IM system. Huh. Which the IM system is uh, the exalted version of artificial intelligence from the first stage. And what was Talisman's? I honestly don't remember that I gave you one because you weren't there. Oh, great. Um, I think that I told you it and I can't remember I think what I was, was trying to build a temple to become a god. Yeah, that's what it was. You were trying to become a god. Immortality through godhood. Always good aspirations. I just tried to steal a peach, guys, that gave me immortality from the unconquered son himself. I feel like mine is less lofty than everybody else's. I mean, it sounds like some Chinese... Yeah, but yours is also way more dangerous. That's true. That's my life. Everybody else is like, we're going to be super subtle about it. And you're like, I'm going to be so subtle about it that it's going to be the most blatant thing ever. But if no one catches me, it's the most subtle thing ever. Yep, it totally works. Uh, so V2, like I said, Visionary 2, jams his hand, I don't remember what it was supposed to be, but I have hand in quotes, into his forehead and pulls out a gem and gives it to Visionary 1. Uh, it's to be used for the project of outfitting mortals. 
And then uh, V2 downloads himself onto V1's cuff of storage things. That's what I called it, the cuff of storage Right, things. right, because he had a, uh, <laughs> he had a hearthstone that uh, socketed into his uh, artifact bracers or artifact gauntlets that basically gave him, like, knowledge that he had stored up. It was basically a super database. Yeah. And so the the, uh, current visionary and Storm decide to rest for three hours until it's twilight time to be able to give uh, V2 a proper burial so he can just kind of go on and not be around anymore. Because there's only room for one visionary, let's be honest. There wasn't even room for one visionary. I was going to say, was there even room for one? But we ended up taking the the anti-essence door off the vaults area because we're crazy people. And thought yeah. it was cool that there's an anti-essence door. We, and then we also found out that the... That gets used on me a lot. I really should not have made an anti-essence door. We ended up using that a lot later on for good and bad reasons. Players always doing the crazy ideas for a random reason. Well, we ended up turning it into something later on, which got used for interesting names. We also found out the robot dog's name was Friender. Yep. Which is a Cashern reference, but also a Mega Man reference, because a Cashern reference is a Mega Man reference! But we ended up discussing if we were just gonna go back to Sunshade or Great Forks. I think you guys went back to Sunshade. Oh yeah, we, uh... Again, not the best choice, considering that the, uh, the Killer Queen well, was on a murder spree. I, <laughs> I think we had a reason for going back there, I just don't fully oh. remember what it was. Oh, uh, so Seeker had Shadow Informants tell him that, because fucking Shadow Informants, that the, in air quotes, police chief is missing, uh, the priestess of Tailspinner, someone tried to summon a ghost, and they just don't exist, so it's all kind of weird shit going on right now. Wait, the person who tried to summon doesn't exist, or the ghost doesn't exist? I don't know. Both. Both. Both is good. Uh, sometimes when the people die... They don't leave behind ghosts. It's very rare because it, the the world of Exalted is kind of a crap sack world. But sometimes people are really are like happy to die and just go to the to the cycle of reincarnation. Good luck next time. So people die when they're killed. People die when they're killed. We're getting into some really heavy <gasps> topics here, guys. Like we're really like getting existential. Like we should have people this. die when they're killed. Yes. That's a very bad translation from the original uh, Fate Stay Night. Well, it's just some Japanese saying that they butchered in the Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, a, it, it's something that they butchered in the original translation, but it's... It's, it's a meme a, at this point. It's such a good meme and quote because it's just main character, like, clenching his fist and going, people die when they're killed. Also, he's an idiot, so, you know, it makes it better. Well, I mean, that never got helped in any version of Fate. That character's an idiot. I know. Tangents. Are I'm just good. waiting. So I, could, I, I have the notes in front of me. I just uh, I just work here and live here. So uh, we head back to Sunshade and rest and whatnot. And then Vision pulls the Baroness aside to have a quick convo with her about uh, her having a gem inside of her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're not quite to that point yet, but you remember that. Which, the uh, Baroness having a gem inside Oh her. yeah, that was, uh, yep. that was a later later uh, issue. So the boys end up discussing, slash arguing, because they do, about slavery. And while they're doing that, Storm decides to go to the orphanarium that she's built. 
And there's a small blonde girl there doing exceptionally well. Apparently, she just came from just south of Lookshy, which is where Storm's from. Another reference. She looks like she's about 10 years old. Uh, she calls herself Ghost. And I, at the time, I, I asked her if she was okay with me renaming her White Lily. Uh, Lily for short, because, you know, Ghost just seems very... It didn't seem to fit her. Didn't seem yeah. to fit her. Well, it was, it was one of those things of that name makes me think, oh, well, you're a ghost. Nobody cares about you and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Type Rude. Of thing. Ghosts are people, too. We're ghosts are people. <laughs> ghosts are people, especially if you go to the Skullstone Archipelago out in the West. We can talk about that at some point. Yeah. She said her uh, mother felt uh, her mother was a ghost and fell in love with a person. They got married and had her, so that she was ghost blooded, which makes oh. sense. But I have questions, but I guess you know that's a thing. Game that logic. Well, at, a- at the time, I was just like, okay, sure, we'll go with this. But I still feel like ghost is just kind of a name that doesn't fit you. So Nathan, just so you know, if a lunar one of the one of the people who can shapeshift falls in love with an animal, they can make beast men. So you're talking about Zeus. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Lunar, Lunar's got big Zeus energy. <laughs> I would think that'd be more terrestrials, just fuck everything to have terrestrial babies. Yeah, no, no, they, they can all, it's only, it's only people that they can do that with, whereas uh, Lunars can be like, oh man, I really like this snake, and you know what would be really great? Snake people! So Zeus is a Lunar. Yeah, that, that would, that would, that would track. I'm just, I'm not going to get involved on in that I'm doing the math. It adds up. Snake people. <laughs> yeah. So Storm gets a knock on her door around midnight, and uh, Visionary is there and accuses her of stealing the mask because it's missing. It's not in the blast furnace anymore. Oh, no! So because uh, Secret Storm's rooms are right next so... to each other, Seeker comes out because he hears all the ruckus and us arguing. And he sends out his shadows to look uh, for the mask. And I head back to bed because I'm not fucking dealing with this bullshit. So, so then... Funny thing about that, and I can't remember if it was Devin being sneaky or if it was just me going like, well, this I, mask that, has that, weird fate that powers. Answer, the answer comes up later. Oh, does it? Okay. Yeah, that's why I was like, oh, let me stop you real quick because I think I know where you're going with that. Well, Visionary and Storm go to Diego because they want to talk to him about the mask, and since he's been jonesing for it, we decided it was might be him. We weren't sure how he got it out of the blast furnace, but we decided it was probably him. Uh, and then Percival goes to his right-hand man, Digby, and we then finds out he's a lunar, so he has to go away to get his lunar tattoos. He, uh, specifically, uh, he, Digby is his right-hand man who... Craig had recently spent uh, XP on to turn him into a very, uh, into basically a five-dot ally, which means, hey, they're an exalt on par with you. And I was like, well, I guess he's a lunar now, so uh, what that means is that lunars specifically have to get Moonsilver tattoos to make sure that whenever they change, um, they don't just invite wild energy onto them and just are infinitely stuck in, like, one form or the other. So he had to go and uh, get himself some tattoos. Got it. Yeah. His tattoos name was to control you. The Wounded Wolf Who Howls for Victory. Mm-hmm. That's a name. Yeah. Then we go over to Wayward Sun. 
And uh, it opens with Delilah on Wayward's bed. Oh my. And she asks him for a favor for him to play her a song. He plays it fantastically for her and help heals her wound. Oh my gosh, she can talk. I know I can. Helps heal her wounds. Two H words in a row. I mean, yeah. Uh, a song born of stars somewhere in heaven. Uh, exalted of Incarna that scat- scattered the song stuff. That's all I got written down. I don't know where that was going, honestly. He, he made a good song that... Uh... Really impressed her, and because she's a dead opera singer, um, it it helped heal her. That 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 was the logic. Sometimes, sometimes logic just kind of works that way. And exalted. I don't know. I was just reading what the notes said because I didn't know how to piece that into actual sentences. Uh, then Seeker has his stuff happen, which I don't have any notes on because it was secret, quiet stuffs. So. What I can tell you all happened with the blast with the mask in the blast furnace then is that uh he got some of his loyal people while the blast furnace was going to go in there, grab the mask and throw it outside of the blast furnace and basically have these people burn alive. Yep. That sounds Which like was secret. terrifying. That sounds like secret. And that's what he fucking did to these people because he's a manipulative person, but he was like, Oh well I'm a solar, so you'll be instantly reincarnated and these people fucking believe him. It's terrifying and, like, they let it happen because... They didn't know better. Because they didn't know better and and solars are gods. And social foo. And social foo. Like, this shit just kind of... Happens. Yay, zealotry! (laughs) The next day, we find a corpse strung out with its insides on its outsides. That was great. Uh, and Seeker decides to tell Visionary that there's a Jala breeding farm at Great Forks called Operation Panda Mill. A what? A, a Jala breeding farm. Okay. Called Operation Panda Mill. This is specifically okay. because Jalas are weird and... They were a race that was constructed and bred for slave labor. Um, <clears throat> which is one of the reasons why Joe decided he wanted to pursue this path, if I remember him saying, because he, his character, if I recall, originally didn't want to be found out. He didn't want, uh, he was, he lived in fear of the realm discovering, um, Exalted, and he didn't feel, his character wasn't confident enough to take them on, um, which seemed to clash with the rest of the group, and so he chose a Jala late, he chose to change to a Jala because it would have made more sense. Mm-hmm. Um, being someone who had been enslaved and had been living that really harsh life and then found freedom and not only freedom, but this immense power, it gave his character a driving goal. It gave his character more of a purpose than just, I'm an exalted and I'm a God. It gave him this reason to be more, I want to save people and I want to do the right thing. I want to liberate people. It actually was him trying to put his character on a good path. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We also found out that there was a hospital that was built overnight in Sunshade, which was Tally's building. Yeah. Yeah, she did that a lot. Yeah. That, the temple, and the hospital was also a university for... Um, it was a teaching hospital. It was a teaching hospital. Yeah. Because Talisman was... A master craftsman and also a uh she she went down the healing tree 
because I kind of took a look at what everyone was doing and was like, well, we need somebody who knows who can kind of be pure support. Mm-hmm. So she didn't have like a weapon. She didn't have any like attack charms at all. Nope. She had no offensive capabilities outside of what she could craft. Yeah. And the other the other people in the group all had some fighting capabilities. Most of us had well, three of us had a martial art. And the other two were, were brawlers or bow users. Wait, three of you had a martial art? It was you Oh, maybe Percival didn't. Never mind. Percival didn't have a martial art. Okay, it so was two you of and John us, had a martial art. But Percival, uh, Seeker, and Visionary all had combat stuff. So we were all... Seeker, like, barely, but, well, like... Well, he had, he had all, the bow stuff. He had bow stuff, that which was very good. That was what he was going down with. And that ended up being pretty good in the long run. Even just having a little bit of it was helpful. Uh, Visionary and the Baroness end up talking, and he tells her about how the previous incarnation put a gem in her, and he wants her to access the gem for him. And I, I have no idea what this note is for, but apparently Storm cut down a drifter, or cut down a guy, and he looks like a drifter. The orphan said that he came in a few days ago. Yep. Um, I don't remember what that was you about. You killed, and in big air quotes, um, the uh, secret personality of a sidereal that was trying to get to you guys. Uh. You didn't kill the sidereal itself, I but mean, you cut down his uh his persona. I mean, don't stop being shifty in my town. No, you're literally you're literally raising assassin children. Stop being shifty in my town. Is that what the orphanarium is doing? Yes, the orphanarium. Well, was so the the Sun Shank Orphanarium. Oh, I didn't get that full name. Was yeah. that in the last recording? It might, might have been. been. Uh, so it's the Sunshank Orphanarium and the town of Sunshade. And basically Storm would take in kids that were orphaned. Her thing was, you know, I will, you can still live here, but if you want to pay me back for housing you and feeding you and all this stuff, you can come and work for my organization. Learn to be a spy. Learn to be an assassin. I'm still going to take care of you if you don't want to do that with your life. But if you want to do that, cool. What kid's going to say no to wanting to be an assassin and a spy? I mean, probably a lot, but this is definitely <laughs> worse than the idea that popped in my head when you first said that in this recording. Orphanarium. I'm like, Orphanarium, did you just collect orphans to look at them through this giant bubble? What is wrong with you? And now I'm like, you're raising assassins? What is wrong with you? There's a lot of things wrong with Storm. <laughs> we, uh, we, cu- we very lightly made uh, comments about her and her uh, ch- uh, her child soldier army. Yeah. See, I already thought it was bad, but I get the explanation and now it's worse! It was by choice. That was her whole thing was they could choose to do this. If they didn't want to do it, go get a job in the town. Be a normal person. It wasn't like, I am going to train you to be child soldiers and you have no fucking choice. I I guess that's not as bad. Yeah. Yeah. Like, she was like, if you would like to repay me, I will be happy to do this for you. However, there are other options if you would like to take uh to repay the town as well. Yeah, go open a bankery. Go bankery. Work bankery. <laughs> go help out at the local <laughs> hospital. Go. Yeah. You know, it was entirely by choice. And if you got into the the program of sorts and were like, "This is not for me," cool, leave. Go do okay. something else with your life. It wasn't. It wasn't a hard. I didn't gang press children into being assassins and spies. <laughs> well, you did give them something to put their time towards. Yeah. And they still got to learn, like, martial arts and stuff. 
if they wanted to. Okay. So then they, they could not still, as evil they as could I thought. still learn martial arts and not be a part of my group. It was fine. You're still raising orphans to be assassins, and that's, that's a thing. That gets brought up by Craig a lot. I mean, if he had a problem with it, that's fine. He raised elite soldiers, I raised my own soldiers. I mean, I guess. One way or the other. Yeah, All right. we'll see who would win in that fight. Mine would be silent, but dead. I think you'd win in that fight, but only because you outlasted Craig. Hey. That's, that's probably true. He had to leave, like, two years into the game. Yeah. And there was some stuff that happened, and I had a, a big group at the end of that. Um, anyway, he's back to this. So, Diego is all kinds of flustered, because we he came to us and said that there was a realm inspection squad that was on its way. And we can't kill them because they need to report back. So it's like, if they disappear, then a bigger group's going to be sent to be like, why the fuck did this inspection squad go missing? And then it's a bigger problem. So we basically have to let them come through and not murder them and let them go back. Yep. So his his big idea was to, for all of us to hide and hide the barrenness and uh, say stuff about everyone in town helping to dig up the site. And that was the reason why this town was here. Because it was still, like, getting off the ground. It wasn't a full-fledged, like, metropolis or anything at this point. Just, like, a tiny town that was building itself up. And Seeker found the mask in his bag. And Diego reveals that uh, he'd been hearing voices in his head since we had put the mask on his face or forced the mask on his face. Because that's what Whispers does. Yeah. And Seeker says he knows what's going on with the guy that was strung up outside, and he says he's handling it. He uh, does let us know that, uh... It was a warning, because that was one of his spies. Yeah, he tells us that there was a, a person named Shadow Throne, and uh, we had to keep an eye out for him. Which is a Malazan reference! Still haven't read Malazan. Malazan Book of the Fallen by Steven Erickson. It was... A lot of my stuff is heavy on the references. We've made this clear many times before. Um, Considering that the next arc, the next story arc after this, is called the Killer Queen arc. Which we're slowly getting I mean, to. I highly enjoy all the references in, in your games and podcasts. <laughs> I appreciate that. But Actually, yeah, I really do appreciate that. Basically, that session just ends with us trying to figure out what we want to do next, and we decide with all the bullshit going on that we're going to go back to Great Forks again. Okay, so we've made it through two sessions, so I guess uh, we'll take a small break and then get to questions. Sounds good to me. All right, so with two sessions done, I think it's about time for questions. So we're going to start on a question that I received last week from our good buddy, Will, um, who is um, actually, I think that I had mentioned uh, in a previous question, is actually one of the reasons why I got back into LARPing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, are you talking about Doss as well? Yeah, Doss as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's one of the people that sent in questions to us. We just, we can't get to all of them every session, so we're trying to do, like, maybe two or three. Or else they end up being, like, these podcasts will be five hours long. Yeah. Some people, crazy people like me, enjoy those kinds of podcasts, but not everyone does. So we're trying to keep them to, like, an hour, two hours, try not to go over two. So we're going to try and get through at least two questions. We might get a third one tonight. Kind of depends on how everyone's feeling. Um... Spoiler, this one's probably going to be about a two-hour-long podcast as well. Yeah. Um, So the question here from Will is, any recommendations for someone starting out as a storyteller slash game staff 
for finding their own stories to tell. Yes. All right. Julia has an answer here. Uh, when I was a kid, I actually did a lot of seminars with professional writers. Um, and one of them, I asked a very similar question, like, what's the best advice you can give to someone who's a young writer? And he said, well, use your imagination, but start with certain places you know, certain settings that you're familiar with. Start with uh, personalities that you know. So a lot of what I do, because I'm still technically a fairly new GM, is that my first game I ever ran, I set in my hometown where I went to high school. And a lot of the characters that people interacted with were people that I had either grown up with or were inspired by, like, general mentalities that I'd gone along with. I would say that someone starting off, your setting is not necessarily irrelevant, but your world is empty without the characters that you populate it with, and you bring it to life through your own passion. It's a lot easier to be passionate about things you know and things that you're comfortable with than with other situations. And it can be like, maybe they run across a dragon that is literally the embodiment of a personality of a, of a teacher you had in high school that either drove you crazy or inspired you to be better. That's honestly all how I always viewed it is that every character that you guys come across are very much inspired by the real world, by people that I know, by people that I interact with or just have observed. Um, okay, that's a really good uh, way of uh, doing of telling stories. A lot of what that I uh, a lot of what I do is I kind of take um, a lot of stuff that I like and I kind of either uh, take it wholesale if it's not well known, or um, I will modify it for the setting. Um, a lot of what this kind of derives from is I am a huge fan of referential humor. So, like, it's really neat to be like, okay, cool, we're going to reference this storyline from X show, or we're going to reference this storyline from, uh, like, this year of wrestling, or, like, hmm. something like that. Hmm. And if you do something like that, it's like, if it's a good storyline, one, you're going to get other people involved, but you're also going to get that moment of if other people, if it dawns on the players that, oh, this is that thing, and it was a really good storyline, they're going to also kind of be drawn into it, but then when it those people get drawn into it who kind of know about it, they might try to steer it or like... Change it in a way Change that... it in a way that they might have liked a little bit better. Um, it... One of the... It's like a way of rewriting a disappointing final season. It could be a way of rewriting a disappointing final season. Like, uh, especially if you see something where that you thought that you saw a lot of um, potential in, um, you can uh, kind of... I don't want to say you can rewrite it, because especially for LARP and... Uh, running an actual game, like, you, this is a lesson that I think that really should be put into, uh, that everyone who runs a game, but especially for, since this is specifically at will, um, who we know, and who we know is game staff for Stormflux, mm -hmm. um, you, this is a lesson I learned when running Exalted, is you cannot plan for your players. <laughs> 
You have yeah, no idea yeah. what that they're going to do. Your people are crazy. I think that, honestly, if there was a fucking tabletop that was the most comparable to Stormflux, it would be exalted. Like, taking an anti-essence door off and using it to make something later on, though I'm not going to say what we made. But, like, <laughs> yeah, no, they, they just kind of took a random one-off thing that I had just mentioned because I didn't want them just breaking through the dungeon. Mm-hmm. And then used that against me for the rest of the campaign. For the rest of the campaign. Don't put something in the game that you don't want the players to have because they will find. Even if it's bolted down, they'll pr- try to find a way to unbolt it. Yeah. So I also I also do a lot of referential humor, and mm-hmm. that was my like. I'm gonna go off on a tangent here, and I'm sorry, but it reminds me of my very first game that I ever ran, which was Hunter the Reckoning. In which I put my players in my hometown in North Carolina and had them tracking down uh, kidnapped vampires and werewolves. Because in this scenario, the vampires and werewolves actually weren't doing anything wrong. And their people were being kidnapped and it led them to a house of fangirl where there was a twilight fangirl who was kidnapping vampires and werewolves to find her perfect Edward and Jacob. And in the end, they got help from Adam and Jamie from the Mythbusters, because in my mind, they are the embodiment of what the technocracy actually is, which is taking anything that could be conceived as magic and explaining it as science. I mean, a lot of settings do that. Magic is just science that hasn't been explained yet. Um... As far as um, if this was, I know this is probably a mostly LARP question, but I don't know what kind of uh, ideas that Will has for possibly also running a tabletop game at some point. Um, But in that case, find a system that you like and come up with a story that fits that system or, or find a system that is okay at best. Find something that your players want to run. Something you're comfortable with. Something that you're comfortable with. If all that you're comfortable with is D&D, then run D&D. If you're comfortable with Fate, run Fate. Do a, do 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 something that you're comfortable with, but then um, one of the things that I do recommend is ask your players what that they want to do. Um, especially for tabletop games, but also uh, this could also apply to LARP if you're running for like a smaller-ish group. If you want to do like... If you want to help out with people's personal plot, like you want to, you want to get that player interaction. You want to, you want to see if they're interested in doing certain plot lines because sometimes plot will just fall flat if people aren't interested. Exactly. Uh, the other thing that I would say is play to your strengths. Um, I say this a very like it's a big say it. It's a hard thing to unpack, but. One of the strengths that I have is uh, making a storyline that involves a couple of random things coming together and then leading down a, a long a larger like overarching plot because I'm I consider myself a writer first and foremost. Um, a lot of storytellers uh, we had our friend Dan when he would run a game, his strength was just, reactionary he could just on the fly just come up with things um and going off of what brendan said is that 
I would always, as a GM, and this is something that I do, It's it, I have a journal that I keep for every session. I plan to give each of my players at least 15 minutes to feel cool. You want to look at what their character sheet has and see, you know, what is what are they built towards? You know, if you've got someone who's doing the sneaky route, you want to give them as many opportunities in that to shine. If you've got somebody who does Actually, uh, puzzle solving. If I can butt in, if you have someone in a group of combat monkeys who's a crafter, you want to actually build boss fights with crafting elements in it. But in terms of starting out, I would say pick a small adventure and give them a mini boss that you feel comfortable with them just maybe trashing in one round. Because um, that will typically happen, depending. I have another thing to add, but I wanted to see if uh, Nathan or Christina had anything else to add. I mean, I was just letting you guys go for a little bit. Uh, so I've never GM'd. I don't remember if we had it recorded where I talked about I was working on a campaign. I think that is in the last episode. Okay. I didn't know if that got cut out or not. Uh, but I'm, as far as tabletopping goes, I've never GM'd, uh, DM'd, whatever you want to use for it. Uh, but I'm working on a D&D 5e campaign, and that's based off of 50 years later from a campaign that a friend of mine ran. So it's going to have the piece, the basically the PCs of that 50 years later that are going to be the NPCs for my players to interact with. And I've got a skeletal storyline and options for characters to do and things like that. But my big thing about that is, I want you to build your character, you're going to be level 4. I want a copy of your character sheet, and to know what you're interested in, and what you're built for, and I want to know my players, so that I can take my skeleton and put a little bit of meat on it that's interesting for each character. And I've also done a little bit of storytelling for a LARP that never really got off the ground, and my big thing for that was, whenever I was building mod or doing storytelling and stuff like that, uh, is building something that works for everyone. So I had a mod that I never got to do because it just never continued, where I had stuff for people who like combat. I had riddles and puzzles for people who like that kind of stuff. I had a little bit of social stuff. So it kind of, you could take people on that mod and they had something that they could be interested in, depending on what they like to do. So it's kind of figuring out what your players are interested, like you guys have said, and making everything interactive for everybody or trying to make it interactive for everybody. I would say that, sorry, because this oh. is building off of what Christina's saying, that your role as a GM is less in control and you're a guide. Yeah. You're, you're dropping your PCs in a scenario and they're going to figure out how this goes. And there may be like conditions for completion, but ultimately your only job as the GM is to guide them and to challenge them and to give them a space to express the on their character sheet what it is that they are seeking in this game. Yeah, I'm also very big on, you can try this thing. It might not always work this way every time you try it, but I'm going to go ahead and let you try and we'll see what happens. What would you say, Nathan? Uh, well, I have done a bit of DMing, but only like one, one session thing, or not not one session, but one campaign that I was trying to do. But it's like mostly along the same vein as what you guys are saying, because I tried to have my own thing. I'm like, 
I'm the DM and I got this cool idea that I want to try and then I... And then, as with all, any plan, it didn't survive first contact with the players. <laughs> right? It's like when so you just, buy... My, my whole thing to play off of mostly what everybody else has been saying is that be ready to adjust to what the players are doing exactly. slash want to do. It might take, okay, you're going to run your mod or your one session, and then you take what you learned during that into the next thing you plan. The other thing that I wanted to add on, because this is specifically, uh, since the question is definitely more tailored towards LARP, one of the things you want to make sure that you do is you talk with your other staff. Yes, make sure we're on um, the same page about everything. Communication! Make sure that all of staff is communicating. If you have this big grand idea, or if your friend, uh, another staff, has a big grand idea, maybe see if you can work your plots into each other so that you can get different groups of people. Some people might not be into the oh, we're doing this to save the world thing. And others might be into, like, the social stuff and, like, dealing with the smaller aspects of community building and um, I think dealing with... It, a, uh, the key to all of it, tabletop or LARP, is you have to communicate with your players and you have to communicate with anybody else who's involved in running. Yeah, like, I, right. I've had it before. Like I said, I did mostly storytelling stuff and NPCs for the LARP that I kind of semi-staffed. And <laughs> I had at least twice where... I, the staff that was running a particular mod, like, they had planted the seeds for it, and it got to the mod part, and they weren't available to run it. So I had to, they're like, hey, you're not busy, can you go on and run this for me, and, like, storytell it and mechanics? And I was like, sure, yeah, uh, I know what's going on, give me a bare rundown, like, what are some key things that I have to hit on, or make sure that players kind of figure out. Yep. And I went out and ran it, and got good feedback, and I was like, well, I just helped with it. This is this person's original mod. I was just here to facilitate it because they were busy. Well, I mean, so kind of... Communication's uh, key. Yeah, kind, kind of jumping off of that with communication's key, I think that it's a really cool idea to see, like, oh, this GM, this this staff ran this mod, and this staff ran this mod, and this staff ran, ran this mod during the event. And, like, you kind of have, like, these separate mods that, like, not... the. The, like a bunch of different people might have gone on and then like maybe have it like culminate in like one big mod for everyone because big mods are fun for the group. But I think starting out, the keys remain the same. Like, yes. Yeah. We're, we're definitely getting into long-term stuff. But like yeah. if you're a GM, if you want a GM and you're, uh, if you're a fledgling and you're still learning, um, pick a theme, pick, uh, communicate with your players and don't, worry too much about the rules of the game. Mm -hmm. I know that sounds weird, but I'm very much a, if the rules get in the way of fun, toss the rules out the window. And it's, it's one of those things, like I said, is like, it might not work this way every time and, yep. and make that very clear so people don't think, oh, this is, gonna, this is how it's going to work every single time. This is how I have to do it every single time. Also, like, never... Well, unless, of course, it's like the big bad evil guy, never write speeches for an NPC to say verbatim because the group will interrupt it or they'll do something that's just fucking weird. PCs are cats. They're PCs, unpredictable. You are PCs going to go are... and you're going to buy them this beautiful cat tree and they're going to want to sit in the box. Also, here's another fun one because this is something that I'm terrible at. Keep a list of just random NPC names that you can access on the fly. Because that NPC that you didn't fucking name 
that's the one they're going to want to play with. That's the, uh, what's it called? That's like the meme that's going around right now that's like... The beacon is shining, like there's the little quest symbol above the person at the bar, but there's a goblin over in the corner and the whole group and, wants and, to talk and, to the and goblin. Then, and, yeah, and then the group's like, so what's your name? I have a name, and it's a good name. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So, it's yeah, a real think, good name. I think that if you have, if you want us to answer more on this, we can absolutely... Uh, go into more depth about this, about our personal styles as GMs and like things that have worked for us. But I think that, yeah, I think we've covered the basics. Communicate, get a bare bones, pick a theme and find a system that you're comfortable with. And just make sure to be ready to uh, improvise on the fly. Be flexible. Be flexible. Yep. That That is the, the best advice that I can give to anyone who is looking to GM. So... The next question is a much more broader question, which is saying a lot, considering that was a pretty broad question. It was a pretty specific question, though. Um, we just like the sound of our own voice. Yeah, sometimes. I mean, um, when you got a sexy voice, you got to use it. I'll, I hate my voice recorder, and I've said that many times before. I your, used... voice, your voice sounds great. I listen to all the podcasts, and I think your voice sounds great. But you're well, also our number one fanboy. So Shush. my opinion is perfectly not biased I, in any way, shape, or form. I think form. I sound like a small I, you, child on recordings. I you used, are I adorable. used to hate my voice, and then I started having to listen to my own voice, and now I'm like, Christina, we're gonna do a banter podcast once a week because I like just talking. And I was like, sure, I'm gonna hate it, but I'll get over it. it. Hey, it's this okay. is hey, hey, this is our first. This is what our fourth episode, and you're still doing this with me, and we're still having fun with this. Yeah. Like I said, I'd get over it. So, what's the next question? The next question comes in from GM Curly. I don't even have to look at my phone for this one because it's stuck in my mind. Because we've been thinking about it since last week when we got it. Because we've been thinking about it since last week when we got it. Which, by the way, I apologize because uh, we did promise last episode that this would be a uh, Brennan and Christina get three bottles of wine drunk. I'm too tired to do three bottles of wine drunk. Maybe well, next week I will uh, Next week won't. Uh, I will not out. be here next week, actually. I'm going to go off to a cabin in the woods, and then I got a Halloween party afterwards. Just don't get murdered. Uh, that's not likely not to happen. It's more likely References. That, it's more likely that uh, someone's going to get murdered if they try to come on that property. It's, it'll be try like, not to do anything illegal that's going to get caught. There you go. Yeah, yeah. So, no, don't get caught. So the next question. <laughs> Sorry. So the next question from GM Curly comes as, why do you LARP? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I like that you're all looking at me to jump this one off. So I can jump this one off if y'all want, since you jumped I, the last I, one off. I mean, I can do it. I don't care either way. So I'm interested, Christina. Yeah, no, I'm interested. Okay. Uh, so... Nathan, stop staring. Brief, brief thing. That, do, that doesn't work well on a podcast. Brief, brief thing of how I got into LARPing. I actually got introduced to it in college, I think my first year, and it was actually people at the college who had a group. It was just, you know, like one of the little clubs for school. They all went to Avalon. And my first year, I was like, oh, this is kind of interesting, but I don't have a job right now. It's my first year of school. I want to focus on that. And then an uh, old friend of mine kind of started up a back yard style LARP that never took off and I did that for a little while and so did some of my friends that were in Avalon and then I eventually was just like you know what I want to play in one that's a little more grounded and has been around for a while so I went to Avalon and enjoyed it. it for me LARPing is I love tabletopping 
for me, LARPing is a nice way to kind of escape for the weekend and not be myself and deal with Christina stresses. I can deal with Tawny stresses or Vera stresses or Doe stresses, and I have a little bit more control over those than, I guess, real life. And it's probably not good to be an escapist in that way, but it's nice for the weekend to kind of do that. And I get to wear fun costumes and do fun <laughs> makeup and not have to worry about shit. So it's, it's kind of fun for me in that sense. And I get to throw spells at people and do combat. And that's my big physical activity is LARPing right now. Okay, um, to be fair, LARPing is one of the reasons I want to get into shape. And Same. It's just the interesting stories and the different emotions I get to play out and things like that. It's just, it's fun for me. It's, it's one of those weird things of, well, I could go spend uh, $60 and hang out with my friends and enjoy myself for a weekend, or I could stay home alone and not really do anything, because that's really kind of my other option, I guess. <laughs> um, so switching over to me, since I'm next on this, uh, this uh, clockwise formation here, um, I have heard about LARPing for years and years, and Joe had tried to get me to LARP for years and years. Over it, a decade. Over a decade of time, and it just never worked out. Um, I wanted to, but I never had the money, or I I think I've mentioned before, but I used to work uh, as a commission salesman, and taking a weekend off... It plummets your paycheck. It, it plummets my paycheck, especially taking a weekend off a month for LARPing, as opposed to me, like, saving up saving to up vacation to time to go to, to, to go to a convention. So I used to go to a lot of conventions. I really enjoyed, uh, okay, so I used to go to a lot of conventions. I used to do a lot of cosplay. I used to do a lot of uh, making my own costumes, um, especially when I was younger. Um, that was kind of my big uh, release was just kind of getting to go and be a different character from my favorite animes and just kind of enjoy that attention. So you wanted to be Ganon. Yeah, yeah, actually, Ganon, Ganon's kind of a power uh, fantasy of mine. Um, so eventually, um, after years and years, um, and doing a little bit of LARPing or sparring with Joe, um, and doing a backyard Avalon, basically, with him, um, finally, me and, like, after hearing so many stories of Avalon from Julia, me and my roommates went, yeah, no, we could do this. And it took the guys telling me, yeah, we, we can all come in. Because, like, I would have loved to come in with Julia, but, like... I was, like, level 30. You were, like, level 30, and I didn't want to come in and be like, I'm your newbie. How's it going? You want somebody to come in and kind of I experience want, want, being a lobby yeah, with. Yeah, I wanted other people to come in and experience being a lobby with me. Um, So we finally did that, and I really enjoyed it. Um, and then Avalon died, and then I took a two-year break, and then we started playing Stormflux again. Or then we started playing Stormflux. So why do you keep LARPing? I keep LARPing because, like Christina said, it's a nice escape from being me. But I also am one of those people who, um, I'm not a super social character. Person? Uh, okay, so I work in retail, so I have to, like... I have to be social with people and sell things, which is super fucking weird for me because I got put into this, into this position of being a merchant in, in, in our, or kind of a merchant in our current LARP. Okay. Um, 
But what I really enjoy about LARPing is actually the physical aspect, the combat of it, um, because it helps me get a lot of stress out in a safe way. Um, until I started LARPing, I was a very angry, punchy person, and this really does help uh, alleviate a lot of that stress that I kind of would build up over time from having to go like to my customer service voice. Play my Hi, how are you doing? This is Brendan. I work at blah blah blah. Would you like to That's buy literally your customer service voice when you're on the phone with people for work. I need to call you sometime pretending to be somebody else. It's uh it, it's not that. That's a very sarcastic version of it. I was going to say but there's a reason close. that there was about to be a PowerPoint in our wedding. You sound like a welcome to Chili's kid. <laughs> so what I, about you, Nathan? Well, um, pro- there's probably a lot of similarities to Brendan in this, but I started, the reason I started, other than just being dragged out by friends, because despite how I might appear to the people who actually know me and have gotten to know me uh, the, as the crazy kind of person that I tend to be when I'm comfortable, it takes me a bit to get to that comfortable state, so I tend to be the antisocial creature. But other than friends dragging me out to Avalon, I was actually able to start at the same event as Mori at Avalon, and that was a good time. And I came out for a lot of the same reasons that Brendan did of... I like the combat aspect. As a very in-shape person, especially back then, I was very good at combat. Just had a physical advantage on people, and I also wanted to spar because I grew up as someone who was fascinated slash obsessed with medieval fantasy medieval things like lord of the rings anything medieval i like full plate armor i like swords talk to me about any of that so i just wanted to spar with things and i'm like i get to go beat people up yeah so when people told me about avalon i jumped on board and i played that mostly for the the waning years of it but Still had a good time, and I enjoyed, even though going only to sparse events here and there, being considered about ten levels higher than I was just due to my own personal combat skill. So it was a really good ego boost. I mean, yeah. Yeah. It definitely was a good ego boost, but it mostly just the outlet of wanting to do that. But more recently, other than just wanting to get back into it because it was a hobby that I dropped for a number of years before getting back to it once Avalon... Because before I went to the September event of Stormflux, I had been essentially not LARPing since the end of Avalon three years ago. So why do you keep LARPing? Well, one, to get back in touch with a bunch of the friends that I had at Avalon. That was definitely a big thing for coming back to Stormflux. And going to Ascendia as well. some Some people were there. And I... Now I'm working on more of the roleplay aspect of it, so I can actually, you know, play a character rather than play a Nathan who is going to fight people. I mean, for what it matters, um, for you, you were one of the big reasons that uh, I think me and Jake and Zane, or me and Jake at least, stuck around in Avalon. Yeah, I definitely had a whole hell of a lot of fun with that, because by the time I was in Avalon, they weren't there yet, but I... Shortly thereafter, started taking control of the militia because that was dropped by most people like a sack of potatoes. And then I took them under my wing and we were building things back up. And that was a, one of my great early on experiences. Gave you guys a sense of camaraderie. Like a, yeah, almost like definitely a that. Yeah. Yep. 
And we were building our own thing from the ground up with mostly newish people. And it was definitely a great time and experience. I so, Julia. I have the worst reason for starting a bar thing ever. Or the best. I wanted to get laid. I was seeing this guy in college, and yeah, high five. Um, no, let me tell you one thing. It, yeah. that, that's a great reason. So I was seeing this guy in college, and up until then, the nerdiest thing that I had ever really done was like video games, and I played Magic the Gathering, which I started playing in high school because I wanted to get laid. And because there was a guy I was interested in high school that was never going to date me, but I was like, maybe if I play Magic the Gathering. And then I turned out to be really fucking good at it. And it turns out that fragile, uh, egoed boys in high school do not like getting their asses kicked by by girls who are just learning how to play Magic the Gathering. They do not. They really don't. So I'm seeing this guy, and he's talking about LARPing, and I was like, okay, this sounds interesting. And I didn't really, like, for me, I'm, a, I'm a, the kind of person that just simply cannot be bothered to put on full makeup. I cannot be bothered to do extreme costuming. Like, aesthetic only goes so far as functionality with me. So I was like, well, I have this costume and I'll go. And one of the things that I was always very proud of is, like, a lot of the girls that I knew at the time were just like, oh, I'm this person. I'm a little bit younger than I actually am. And I was like, I'm an old housewife. And I'm crotchety. And I was like, well, what, what would I want out of my life by the time that I'm almost 30? Well, I'd want to be married and have a kid and have a stable home life. So I was like, okay, this gives me an opportunity to have that. So aside from the stable home life. So I came in as this Irish housewife who'd never really fought a day in her life. And her whole life was about like taking care of her home. And then something happened to her husband. And now she's on a revenge quest. Now she's on this quest to go save the man she loves. And I was like, I loved the idea of getting out, getting the chance to play out the reverse of the damsel in distress, where I was just this crotchety old woman trying to, trying to get laid because she's only going to sleep with the man that she married. And she's just going and she's fighting dragons and she's making friends along the way. And everyone's like, I'm going to do this thing. And I'm just like, that's cool. You're going to die. I'm not going into that situation. But the world's at stake. Yeah, but if I die, I can't save my husband. And that means I never have sex again. And it just, over the course of a decade, I went from, like, not necessarily timid, but uneducated, like, first entering the world old woman to a privateer in the king's, uh, in the, for the king. And, like, helping saving the world and being the person that people would come to for like answers on questions. And I really, really enjoyed having that, that kind of life. And when I switched LARPs over to Stormflux and started playing Crow, I decided I wanted to do something really different. And I now am this just very eccentric all over the place, but grounded, uh, spiritual leader, which is something that I was considering pursuing for a time. So the number of the things that I, I LARP for are to give me things that I've always wanted on an emotional level that were never going to happen. Like this is going to get really deep and I hope my family never listens to this, but I really always wanted a, a 
better support system in terms of my family. And so I realized once I made Crow that there's a recurring theme with my characters and that they always have very present, very loving, very good fathers. And my dad's great, but like, I always make the joke that my dad has always been more like an uncle, you know? I see him every once in a while. He gives me shit advice and buys me something or helps me out with this thing. But, like, it's not that I love him any less. It's just that I always wanted a present father figure in my life. And I'll never forget standing in my kitchen on my bir- at my birthday party talking to staff while we'd had a few drinks. And I was talking about the fact that Crow has four dads. And I was like... And I, I looked at Wally and I was like, yeah, when I, I realized recently that I made this character with the thought of, huh, I wonder what it'd be like to have positive male figures in my life. And they were just, they all awkwardly laughed, but it's true. And I keep LARPing for more than just that. I, I do it because I have so many different things that I'm good at that I don't necessarily get to express in the real world. Like, I'm really good at being creepy. And that's not socially uh, acceptable. Creepy stuff. It's yes. not socially acceptable to just randomly make a hyper-realistic baby cry in public. It's not socially acceptable to giggle like a child and stare <laughs> at people until they want to piss themselves. Not, not unless you got a camera and you're on World Star or something. I mean, there's just... And then there's other things of, like, actually feeling validated for, for my brain. Like, people coming to me and saying, you know, we really we appreciate the character you play because she guides people and she is actually, you know, good at giving advice. And it it gives me a chance to actually feel like I'm part of a community and like I matter. And I know that sounds really weird because I know that I matter to my friends, but it, there's something to be said about you're in a headspace and the world is at stake and everyone's going, where's Julia? Yeah. Or it's, it gives me an opportunity to feel not just useful, but wanted and needed. Yep. And it it offers me a chance to be creative and bold in a way that actually I can take that confidence from and put back into work. And so I find that when I don't LARP for an extended period of time, like I get a little shy, if that makes sense. Like I get a little afraid of confrontation. Reserved. Reserved. I, I, I tend to let other people kind of dictate how things go, especially in my professional life. And LARPing has a, given me like a tool to tap into a headspace of a leader. And that's something that I've always felt drawn to, but haven't had the opportunity to practice. LARPing gives me a, a space where I can practice leadership skills and I can practice problem solving skills and interpersonal skills and how to but they're also not they're going to have consequences but they're, but they're not, not going to have real world consequences. they're not going to have real world yeah. consequences because afterwards we're all going to sit down and talk about it and I'm actually going to learn something from it and I'm not going to just sit there and implode right it it has taught me how to say I'm sorry it's how to it's taught me how to read people when I say something that's rude and immediately know that I've crossed a line LARPing I continue to do because it just makes me a better person. It's not just a stress relief or an escape. I mean, it's those things too. I definitely like not being Julia for a period of time, but it, it gives me a chance to shine. And I don't think a lot of people really get that enough. And I think that that's what all of us go to LARPs for is you want that moment to be the main character in your favorite book or your favorite novel or your, or your favorite show or movie 
you want that Iron Man moment where you get to look at someone and go, hi, I'm Crow. And you, 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 you saved the fucking world. Like people in media are like, yeah, hi, I'm Crow. People know that name. And mm-hmm. it's just like, oh, I've heard about you. It's like, mm-hmm. really? My favorite moment ever, ever was after I came back from my five year hiatus at Avalon. And the Baron walks up to me and goes, do you know the song Hoist the Colors? Yes. And yes, the doctor do. I looked at him and said, of course I know it. I wrote it. Like, you don't get those fucking moments at work. You don't. They go, hey, aren't you the dumb bitch that dropped an entire thing of tomato basil soup all over the walk-in and made Chris want to murder you? Yeah, that was me. So, um... Do we still have time for some more questions? Yeah, we're at like an hour and 30-ish. Okay, so this is something that I, that Jane sent, this is one of the questions that Jane sent in from us, and I'm actually more curious about for you three's response, because you three have way more experience warping than I do. Okay. In your opinion, do veteran players have any obligation to help new players acclimate to the game, or should that solely be up to staff? Absolutely, it's every single person involved in that large responsibility. Every single one of you. It takes a village. And it doesn't mean that you have to go and like literally wrap your arm around someone and teach them. It means that as a community, not as not entirely as individuals, but as a community, you have a responsibility to teach them etiquette and teach them what is acceptable within that group. Because if someone has never LARPed before or they're new to that group, then they don't know kind of the, the pre-established, I don't know if that's a good word for it, but like norms and mores. Yes. Of, of this like micro society. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I got a lot of that when I joined Ascendia, but I've also become that <laughs> when I LARP, when I, like when I took over the militia, right, most exactly, people, the, the that... problem that it had before was that it was overly, um, enthusiastic, I would say, more just like super aggressive. Anybody super comes aggressive in and they would prone. steal people yeah. for recruiting. It was like my, a breath. Yeah, but my my policy for recruitment is the policy that most people should take with new players. Just I don't ask people to join. I literally just help them out. I'm like, hey, hey, uh, let's go on this thing. Let's do this. Here's this one small item that isn't really that valuable to me, but as a new player, it would really help boost you up in the very beginning. And yeah, I'm like, like, like for Avalon, silver weapons. You small gestures of kindness Holy here shit. and there, and just m- acknowledging the existence of a p- new player makes the game infinitely better because it makes them feel involved. But if you're just like, oh, well, you're just a weak person, so we don't care about you and we don't want you on this, then it's like, you're, they're going to feel excluded and not want to come back. I remember when I was in orientation at college, they said that the one, number one cause of dropout in uh, universities is a lack of involvement. A lack of involvement in your community, in clubs, in the social aspect. When people feel lonely in a group, they tend to not want to be a part of it. And that is very important in keeping a community from becoming toxic. And I would say that as players and as staff, it is your responsibility on a personal level to not necessarily blanket beat new players with attention, but to be available. To If you're playing an asshole character, that is a personal choice. 
But when you have a chance to NPC with them when you come out of character, you should still drop that mask and still be like, hey, let's do this thing. Oh, hey, here's the new guy. Here, take the big weapon. Here's how you're going to be a badass. And in terms of, like, social things, it's very much up to the community. It's not necessarily up to staff to teach them that sort of thing. When you have a player that is exhibiting toxic uh, behavior or exhibiting <coughs> um, problematic uh, behavior, it is your responsibility, if you recognize this, to, to, to address it in a way that is not aggressive or uh, confrontational. Because we all do this for varying reasons, but really we come here to have fun. And if we're not all on the same page, then that's when you get a disconnect. And we can't all be on the same page if we're not communicating what chapter we're in or what line we're supposed to be yeah. doing. What were you going to say? But yeah, um, it was specifically a memory that you brought up when you said, here's the big weapon. Literally the first event that I came to at Avalon when the militia was doing a thing and there was a lizard attack or they got a specific weapon but they got a weapon it was a lizard slayer it was a specific weapon to fight reptiles oh my and they God, handed remember... it to me the brand new player I remember granted that story. it was because i was the only one who could use a two-handed weapon but it still made me feel really important because i was a, a brand new player the max i could swing one time was like nine damage and i was swinging the big melee class but suddenly my damage against the reptile became like, like 29 it was like because it was, it was, no, it was plus 20 plus against 20. the reptile. So I came in as the new player and I started wrecking face against the specific mod that came in. And it made me feel super important because I got to play a main role as the brand new guy. But I'd also say that as a new player, you also have responsibility. Yes, this world is new, but it's your responsibility to ask questions. It is your responsibility to, to try and get involved. To, to involve yourself. If you isolate yourself or you go in with the mindset of I am a I'm the main character and everyone else is an NPC, then to quote fucking South Park, you're gonna have a bad time. Nobody wants to play with a self-absorbed dickhead. Nobody wants to play with a Mary Sue. I mean, there's ways you can play a Mary Sue that aren't difficult or Jerkish. groaning to deal with. Like I would say that a big deal is to, if you're going to play something, try and go in with the understanding that your priest's conceptions about what you wanted may not work out in this specific setting. And that if you have, and if you view staff as your personal, uh, as your personal story vending machine, then you're going to one, push staff away and you're, too, going to make it more difficult for players to want to involve you. Yeah, if you if you just expect you can go on a mod just by yourself or monopolize so. staff for a singular thing for you, you have to realize they want to involve as many people as they can and stuff. So, this, like, you go to play with people, and yeah. you go to play with players. You're not there just to play with staff. If I could for a moment. This, actually, this actually does uh, loop... That question does actually loop back onto... A question that me and Christina tried to answer last week, which was uh, from Jane as well, which was, in your opinion, do players have a responsibility to create content for themselves and other players? Um, basically, are you all familiar with the concept of reciprocity? Explain it. Reciprocity is um, basically... Um, the best way... I, I recently watched a video on it, and it's basically... Some of the best stories that get told are, uh, from, especially from tabletop games, 
or LARPs are when it's someone fucks up, like someone like says something that screws up or someone makes a bad roll or something else, and then another like you're trying to be in the spotlight and then you like you botch. fall you botch and you fall on your ass. But then the person to your right like fixes that for you. Like you fucked up and your buddy came in and saved your and saved your yeah, ass. I've got an exact example of that. Um, I made it across the, I was almost across the rickety bridge in a D&D game. You know, you had to make balance checks to cross. I was one tile away, so it's like, I could either charge across and try a balance check, or take my one square of movement and then wait an extra turn to get there. So I try to charge across, I fail. So the next turn I try to charge across again, fall down, and then my player, the other players, save my life in the end after I try something and botch. Right, and you remember that because... You messed up and someone else came to your aid. Or yes. in times when it's someone else messed up and you came to their aid, you remember that more as opposed to the time that you were the badass. As a as a healer, you were as someone who as someone who plays a healer in MMOs, has played a healer in LARP, and is literally sitting near two healers in our LARP, reciprocity is like you guys is fucking bread and butter. Mm-hmm. The group goes down. Every, nobody remembers why the group goes down, or if they do, it's like a dumb reason, and they kind of go, "Oh man, we fucked up because but we, we all this. remember the hill mob. But we all remember people coming in and saving our ass. Yeah, or remember people doing that slide in mass heal. Yep, that is reciprocity. Being I, called in. I would say that my best moments as a PC were when I was put in a position where I had to do something that was very much not what my character would normally do. So, uh, if you're going to talk about that, that actually does bring up another question that Jane asked. Okay. Jane kind of sent us a list of questions. Jane sent us a big list of we questions. Just For the record, to, Jane, we love you. We just haven't been able to get through like um, a lot of them lately. <laughs> What's the most intense roleplay that you've been a part of that you didn't expect coming? Can I please tell my story? Can I please tell this? this is, is this one? is this the Minotaur story? This is not the Minotaur story. Okay. This is one of my... This is... Okay, so... Um, I learned through LARPing that I have a limit on energy. And if I... I now know that I need to take a nap. But when I was younger and more spry, I thought that coffee was the answer to all of my problems. Because if I didn't have that extra boost... I would end up sobbing and crying and like screaming at staff over something really stupid like a styrofoam head and actual thing that happened and I'm not proud of. Um, And so it was one of my events. There was a Neo and her and I were talking and I was like, man, I really need some coffee. Do you want to go on a Starbucks run? So I went and I talked to the GM because we let them know when we were leaving games that they could plan around it. And they were at that, that particular LARP took the safety of their players very seriously. So they needed to know where everyone was. Um, and so we left and we came back and it's Saturday night and the tavern is empty. This means something awful is going on. This girl, like she, she can maybe throw five spells, uh, total, like in one without having to rest because that's all of the mana that she has. And so we walk towards the front door and this enemy comes in and it's, it's, it's called a Jacoban. A Jacoban walks in and they're like terrifying. Mm. I know I can't solo one. Like, I'm level 25, and I know I can't take this fucking thing, so I, I, like, immediately put my arm behind her, and I go run for the door, and we go running out the back door, and an entire horde of these things called Dominion walk in. 
Oh. And these are, like, super powerful, like, you need, like, <coughs> yeah. I remember when they were first introduced, I think it took an entire town just to take down one. And oh, then they, could... they took over Mershank at one point. They yelled yeah, like, us out. They were fucking disgusting. And so, like, I literally had to, like, back this girl into a corner, and the only spell that I could think to do at that time was I just started casting spell walls. So that there were four or five, like, consecutive walls between me and the, the NPCs. And we were backed into a corner and I knew, I knew that they had the ability to break those down. But I also knew that I could cast those spells really quickly. And two, I will never, ever take for granted this like windfall that the person playing the one NPC that had the spell to destroy it couldn't remember the incantation to do it. (laughs) And the staff has always ruled if you don't remember it while you're out, they're not going to fucking give it to you. And so they were stuck. They couldn't get to us. They could have immediately, like, they could have one-shot us and then, like, and then some destroyed us. Like, I could have permed from this. And so they get bored and leave, and I wait. I drop the walls, and this girl, to her credit, was fucking amazing. We opened up a bench next to the uh, fireplace, and she wrapped herself in a cloak, and she curled up in there, and she just fucking hit. I mean, this girl went to sleep. She took a nap in there. Like, (laughs) fucking RP before safety. Fucking badass. And so I'm pacing the tavern, like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? Okay, wait, no, we have another army nearby that hates Dominion more than it hates us. So maybe I can go and talk to them. And a staff member walked into the kitchen. They just got into the event. And I walk in and I look at this staff and I go, hey, Shimer, I'm going to do something stupid. And he just slaps his hand down on the counter and goes, I love it when PCs say they're going to do this. And I say, I need to go talk to the Eastern Horn, which was this army that was, we were, that we were dealing with. And we were, we were in the process of, they were beastmen, essentially, coming down from the mountains. Well, yeah, they were, they they were a lot of, like, beastmen, Denali, stuff like that. Like, there was a couple different things in there. And they're, they didn't like Dominion because Dominion would take them and dip them into pits and shit like that. They were essentially pure corruption. There's uh, a whole enemies of your enemy is your friend situation. And that is exactly where my mind went. My character, again, this was the old woman. She was all about self-preservation. She is not brave. She doesn't do brave things. She she would go and she would look at a fight and turn around and run and hide under the nearest bed. It was literally her stick. And here I was thinking, my town is at stake and we're all going to die, myself included, unless I do something. And so he says, all right, you're going to go to NPC Shack and you're going to sneak from one end of the biggest camp in that we run in to the opposite end. And once you get to this point, you may put on a white, white headband and go out of character. And I was like, okay. So I went and I took off everything that was jangly. I took off my boots. I took off my jacket. And like, I literally walked barefoot from one end of the camp to the other. And now, meanwhile, I don't understand. I don't know that this is happening, but staff is on their walkie coordinating with the dominion telling them my location and thank fucking God I got lost. Cause they didn't know where I was. Cause neither did I. <laughs> so I run into this one person who's also like, kind of like waking up from a nap or for whatever reason is not with the rest of the group. That's dealing with like this awful thing that's happening. And I'm like, I need you to help me get to this location. I forgot how to get there. And he's like, all right, I'll lead you. I was like, okay, but this, we gotta be stealthy about it. And he goes, okay, stop, 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 stop. I was like, fuck, I'm gonna fucking die. We're both gonna fucking die. And we came to the T 
And, like, I see the blinking red light of the Dominion costuming coming towards me, and I turned down that path, and I ran as fast as I fucking could. Like, because it was, it was, oh, it was basically, like, once I got over this bridge, I'm safe once, and I'm, like, I'm about in tears because my character does not do this. Like, this is not me. I'm not brave. And, like, I did the brave thing by doing the thing that I do best, which is running away. And it was a situation that I literally had to, like, figure out on the fly. I never expected to be put in a position where I was going to have to go and run for help. I never thought I would have to be the person that would have to sneak across enemy lines, but I did, and I had to handle it. And it was one of the crowning moments of that character, and it's it's a story that I've always told about her, because I will never be that badass again. <laughs> like... So it was, well, it was, uh, what was content that you didn't expect that made you feel emotions or something like that? Could you repeat the question one more time? I got distracted. Uh, most intense, uh, thing you've been part of for RP. Oh, oh no. Uh, one most uh, intense thing you didn't expect to be a part of. You didn't expect to be a part of. What's the most intense roleplay that you've been a part of that you didn't expect coming? Um, uh, you, uh I can go. Go ahead. Charlie's family, the first <laughs> encounter last February. Here I'm going. I uh, I believe I mentioned on last episode that um, I basically gave staff carte blanche to just do whatever. Here's my basis for, for my family. Just kind of do whatever. I didn't know what staff was going to do. Um, I know my family's history. Um, we were like, oh, yeah, we're going to go check out my family. Yeah, no, this is kind of spooky. Let's go check this out. Can I chime in for a second? Sure. This was also an unexpected role play that I got dragged into as an NPC because I had no warning so I go in there and I'm expecting to see a bunch of like urban areas and like a library and I see a little farmhouse and drag like four of my closest friends Please, get the boot. out there for a, for a bunch of bullshit and I did not expect my family to one come out with like extremely deep southern drawls like Boomhauer. <laughs> like, like fucking Boomhauer from, from you know, King Charlie. of the Hill. And I'm just like, this is one, this is like, this is not the accent I would have given them because as people know who have listened to the podcast, the accent I would have given them would have been a fucking Philly accent because that's a, that's a fucking accent that I'm really fucking good at. We discussed it briefly. And when I, I told them, uh, the GM running it, Quali, uh, has very much asserted that it would have been too real. If I had come out as a family member with a Brooklyn accent, because I might have taken you out of character too far and reminded you of your actual family. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. So anyway, so they come out and they're, they've done a bunch of stuff and they're basically asking me to do things like, hey, go play fetch. Go play fetch. Go do this. Go do that. And I have no idea how the fuck to react, so I'm just like, uh, uh. I think my favorite part of this is that they tried to resurrect your dead fiancé and only resurrected her from the elbow down. And so it's just this sentient Half an arm. thing. It was literally thing I mean, from I mean, the Adam's I mean, family. I mean, elbow down could have also meant, like, the tummy down from, like... No, no, it was just... The arm it was from just, the elbow it was just down. just the arm, unfortunately, not uh, not the tummy down. Awkward. I mean, and so like he's you're in the you're in the cabin, and we're like we're gonna give them some alone time. Let the let the lovebirds get uh, back together. And I'm on the outside because I'm one of the people he took with us, along with his in character girlfriend, 
And we're just hearing him like, ah, ah, ah. well, there's quiet for a little bit as I'm like trying to talk to the hand and be like, yeah, right. <laughs> and so we're just outside, like, and then uh, us NPCs are like, listen without the sound of a happy couple getting back together. Don't you just love, love? Hooey! Here, have some corn. Just and then, like, after a little bit, it's just. Ah, just yelling. No one knows what's going on. And it's just... I was so grateful for the fucking, like, full face mask that I was wearing as bad as I was sweating in that fucking thing. And then, and then came the point where, like, we started being even weirder and being like, well, the reanimation process is quite taxing on resources, so it could be a matter of we just miscalculated. But and that's when and everybody outside started bidding out the fucking wazoo. So Brendan's in this situation where his family is controlling small critters, and they're speaking in an accent that he's not familiar with. They're asking him to fetch. They're throwing corn on the ground and asking, telling him, I'm sure you're hungry. Here, have some corn. His grandpappy is controlling bees. The bees are bringing him a bottle of hooch. Out of nowhere. Now there's ducks storming his home to bring his stuff back with him. There's a moose. There's beavers coming up from the floorboards. There's people screaming in his ah, ears. The ducks are ramming themselves against the door. What Peace do I do? Never <laughs> what do I do? Honk. Just Honk. open the door. Just open it. Honk. Make a mod that's based off of Goose Game. Sorry. And, anyway. Um, and then, but, but, and then and, you but, got forced into proposing. And then I did get forced into proposing to my in-character girlfriend. Oh, man. So, yeah. Like. Forced the, shotgun wedding. And yeah, forced shotgun wedding. really wedding. intense mod. And afterwards, Wally comes up to me and goes, I can't wait to learn how to play with my toys some more. Because he was just so interested in learning what makes you tick. <laughs> Brendan is Wally's favorite chew toy. <laughs> <laughs> squeak, squeak. Man, I feel like I'm going to be so lackluster compared to you guys. Okay, well, go on. Yeah, well, I mean, I haven't had a, an incredible... Because as I mentioned during the Why Do I LARP thing, I got into it for uh, more of an athletic out, outlet, but I'm, I'm working on the RP bit. A lot of that comes into the last and only Stormflugs event that I've PC'd. Because that's where, honestly, some of my favorite slash best RP that I have the best memory of comes from. Because other than watching things that I was actually a part of. Though it was my RP, it was intense for the reason of that I didn't get... The, the things going on in the background is what made it intense for me because I was dragged to an overgrown city at the event because Brilliant. they need another healer and I'm playing the fabulous Flamingo who is apparently healer extraordinaire now in Crash Point. But, so they drag me on this mod because they're looking hey, for that, an that, You've got some big boots to fill, little bitch. I was going to say, that I was a go-to healer. Hey, you are hey. only the go-to healer. I was, was going to say, hey, yes. Julia, you flipping him off doesn't play well for an audio medium. <laughs> but so I was I, indisposed. <laughs> I, was, I was essentially main healer on this mod. There was one other healer, it's but okay. uh, he was run down very quickly. <laughs> So I, don't I was called out by an things. NPC to come and to, like do some roleplay while combat was happening. So I'm like, cool, a thing for my character to be involved with. So like, I we step were, aside while everybody's you. getting murdered. We didn't attack you. Yes, I know, but that's what makes it intense for me is because I'm trying to have this go-lucky conversation while I'm watching all of my party be murdered. And I'm just sitting there on the sidelines like, yep, yep. I need to ask questions. And then I, all I hear is, Flamingo, help us, Flamingo! NPCing that, watching me not, not trip people up, and then the rest of the, the plant amalgamation jump on people was just 
great. And you over there just like, uh, 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 yeah, conversation. Fuck, they're dying. Fuck, they're dying. <laughs> yeah, I was there for one job, and that was one of the most intense things, other than, like, and then other than that, uh, rescuing Doe was another thing that I just kind of involved myself <laughs> in because I happened to be there because I decided not to go on a murder run. <laughs> I'm going to have to really up my cardio game if I'm going to keep the rank of top heels in town. <laughs> I mean, if I stick with healing, yeah, I'm going to be the most mobile healer we have. But yeah, the, then going along and rescuing Doe, being and using my brand new acquired skills to lead the tr lead the way to actually do it made me feel involved, and I didn't know I was going to be involved in that. And I'm like, this was a really fun time. I mean, I only have heal as Doe. Everything else is like hide and seek by occultation and umbral and pathfinding. You're gonna and really shit. have to step up because my entire pool tapestry is heals except for two things. I mean, I, I have, just... I have, I have runic heal, I have group heal, I have self heal. Yeah. yeah. I, I am a healer, but that's, that's what I do on the battlefield, but that's not Joe's It's also shtick. because I'm really trying not to be DPS. That's and I fair. keep getting dragged into DPS. That's Because you're good at it. I don't want to do it! Why do you think I pulled away from daggers? I don't want to be known as simply just dagger girl. Dagger doe. <laughs> yep. I should drop fire, but I really shouldn't drop fire. Okay, so, Christina, your most intense moment, and I think we're going to cut it at that. Uh, so mine was actually at an Avalon event. It was August or September. It was right before Morsander event. And so they were dropping little spooky hints for Morsander like they do. Well, so I, I learned a lot of the stories of Morsander, and all of a sudden we're all sitting chilling out on the porch at the camp. And we see, I think it was Clinton. He walked up with, like, a whited-out face, and I think it was a white wig, and just dressed very nicely. Because, like, the lights went out and he appeared or something like that. I don't remember the beginnings of it. It's very vague for the beginning part of it. And Wendy comes out dressed up in a kind of a Gurnai attire, like a fortune-telling attire. Mm -hmm. And he sits and starts laying into her, persecuting her, and I quickly realize who she's supposed to be. She's Rasindalu who is this character at Morsander who's a Gurnai who does fortune-telling and all this other stuff, and most of the shit that she says comes true, because she yeah. that's who she was. Well, they're persecuting her for all, saying she did all these things, and they go to hang her. And, I'm, and I think everybody could see it at the time, and so we're all just, like, yelling at them, and I'm just freaking out, because, like, no, she didn't do this! I think I even got up in Clinton's face because they couldn't see us, but we could see them, and started yelling. He's like, she didn't fucking do this. This wasn't her. This is what actually happened. We know what happened. But they're playing out the scene from that time, and uh, we can't do anything about it. We're just witnessing it. And so they hang her character. And I'm just like, fucking no. Like, I've been trying to follow this. Like, Tawny had been on this thing of, I want to really figure out her story and find a way to kind of release her from Morsander. She doesn't have to keep reliving all that That's shit. How. Yeah. And so when they hang her, she drops her orb and she comes back and only I can see her. I think it was myself and maybe the one other girl and I that was at the event could see her. Mm -hmm. And so I like, I've already like, cause I can make myself cry in command. And so like, I was like, all right, I got to, I can up the RP on this. So I made myself cry. 
So I drop to my knees and I look up at her because Wendy's like has because Wendy has freakishly long hair. It's beautiful hair, but it's like down to her knees or longer. And it's just hanging down. She's got her head tilted down. She's kind of looking at me, but not. So I'm looking up at her. Uh, and everybody's like, what's going on? Because they, they don't see her. They just see Tawny on her knees staring up, talking to something. And nobody else really knows what's going on. And I'm just sitting there talking to her. I was like, I know it wasn't your fault. And she's actually responding to me. Mm -hmm. And we just have this dialogue back and forth that just really hit me to my core. It's like, I'm going to do everything I can to try and get you out of this. And they gave me her orb. So I kept that orb and was like, no, like, this is a mission now for me. Yeah. So cue more sander. Where we had to go into the barn, mm -hmm. and it was dark. Oh, and wow. I know the orb can light up. So we go in there, everybody's trying to cast glow spells and doing all this thing, and staff is like, it goes out, it goes out. And there's shadows lurking around. It's almost entirely pitch black except for the stage. So you can barely see the people, the NPCs moving around, and shadows in there. And I'm like, fuck, all these lights are going out. I don't... Let me try something. So I take the orb out, and I turn it on, and staff comes over to put it out. I believe it was AJ. And I was like, AJ, this is Rasindalu's orb. He's like, oh no, that shit stays on. And so because this is literally the only light source, everybody's huddled around it. And the, the shadows keep trying keep knocking people down to try and take it. And I have to get a I have to go around and like help figure out shit and keep the light and try and lure these things away and shit like that. And at one point I get cut down. And the orb gets taken from me. They managed to pick me back up. And I saw the orb floating out the door of the bar. I fucking leapt off the stage and went running, not even caring that these shadow creatures were all around me, and bolted after that light. Holy and it disappeared shit. before I could get it. So now I'm all the way on the other side of the barn. Mm -hmm. And everybody else is on the other side. And I'm like... Fuck, they took it! Like, I'm freaking out. And, because this is the only piece I have to kind of, like, stay connected to path. her. Yeah. And I'm just like, and I turn out, I was like, oh, and I'm all alone. Oh, I'm all alone. Oh, I'm all alone. <laughs> and so I get beat down. And they managed to get over to rescue me, but it was still just heart-wrenching and heartbreaking to lose that item. And I was like, I don't know if I can ever get this back and over the rest of like I think there was like a, maybe a year or so left of it or whatever it was I kept trying to figure out ways to get it back and pursuing the the line as much as I could but I could only really do stuff in more sander yeah and there was and I think the next event was when it was a, a not more sander event and then we just never had one again so I yeah. couldn't so it was like heart-wrenching to lose the item and then for that plot line to drop also yeah yeah but that's that at like from the initial reaction, that's the first thing that comes to my mind is I just remember that just the the different emotions from the all of that. <laughs> okay, so I think that that'll do it for us. We're at uh, two hours and some odd minutes. Um, so for a pair of dice lost, I was Brendan, Christina, Julia. And Nathan. Our fanboy. Our Yay! fanboy hanging out here. Uh, this was episode four of Let the Good Dice Roll. Uh, we're signing off. We will hopefully have another one. Uh, well, we're not doing another one uh, next week because no. you're off. 
I mean, we can always do it some other day. We, could, we might do it some other day, <laughs> but... Same thing. Bless you. Um, this is great. We'll do this again soon. We'll do this Thanks again soon. Thanks for listening. Soon. Thanks again. Hit us up on listening. Twitter. Yeah, no. Hit us up on Twitter. Uh, I am at a pair of dice lost. And Julia is at GM Crow one That's the number one. I'm not, not on there that much anymore, but if you guys DM me, I still do get the notifications. So I'll I'll try and be better about being responsive. Okay. okay. So thanks for listening, for, guys. For all of us, thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.